0: Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you in the flesh. Those are on those online, it's wonderful to see you. Uh, I love, uh, we, we've loved being here in the Southern Highlands already. We're looking forward to getting to know more and more of you, uh, and you getting to know us over the coming months and years ahead. Uh, but for now, how about I pray and we get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you that your Word to us this morning is God-breathed that it is useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us and training us in all manner of righteousness. So we ask now as we've heard your word being read to us, may you change our hearts. May may you orientate our minds to your words. May we walk out of here knowing more and living more for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, a few years ago now, police in southern China actually seized about six, maybe nearly seven million dollars worth of counterfeit products that were all Australian. One in particular, one particular item I found particularly interesting, which they counterfeited, was a huge range of Penfold's wine. I don't know what kind of wine you might enjoy, but I thought that was particularly... That, that's, that's a high bar of counterfeit right there. Uh, they added that these counterfeit products that they sold, it reportedly made about a 1,000% profit. That's, that's a crazy amount to sell for a counterfeit product, I would have thought. And I was thinking about it even just in regards to money. Now, I have on me... Just a $20 Aussie bill. And nothing, now don't worry, there's no prizes. This isn't isn't gonna, this is not gonna be handed to anyone at the end. Maybe you asked nicely. Um, What in particular struck me was this, is that how do you know whether this is the real or the counterfeit? Now, there's lots of ways. Actually, the the Reserve Bank of Australia gives us a, a lot of different ways to tell, but one way in particular is that Australian notes are made of plastic. Uh, they, they have this distinct feel. In fact, if they feel too thick or too thin, they can be counterfeit. Uh, the tip, and I'll demonstrate, is to scrunch the note in your hand. Because what happens is genuine notes are going to bounce back. So let's, let's see how this goes. So give it a good. Yeah, see? So it's probably real. So it's probably legal tender. Uh, so, good to, good to keep, I think. Uh, and I was thinking about it today because, especially in light of Christmas, it is essential for us to get the Gospel right, to be aware of the counterfeits that are out there. Uh, today, we take a look into the riches of the Gospel truth as outlined in Galatians And therefore, together as a church, as God's people, we're able to discern between the true and the fake, the true and the counterfeit. And so, by way of an introduction, you might want to have that uh, reading open to Galatians 1. And so, as you get there, Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote around 46 AD. It's among the first letters, perhaps the first letter written in the Old Testament. And largely, he actually wrote this to rebuke and correct those who had wandered from the gospel. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but in lots of Paul's other letters, there's a letter of, there's an opening of thankfulness usually. Uh, But here, there's not. There's an outline of a gospel, and then there's a big rebuke, and then there's a final call for who we're trying to win the approval of. And in fact, that's our outline today. So if you've got your little... You've got your little leaflet there. You'll see our sermon outline for you. It might be helpful to follow along. So we need to know that gospel well. And the great news is that in those opening verses, verses 1 to 5, we have a succinct and yet comprehensive account of this gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, let's pick it up at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pause right there. Grace is huge here. Grace comes from that Old Testament word of grace, which is hen and steadfast love, has said. They signify both God's love and his mercy towards us. And this notion of grace pops up all over the Old Testament. Just a couple of references you might want to write down. God rescues his people from Egypt. There is then a proclamation to the people in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, that is this. That the Lord, the Lord, he is compassionate and the gracious God. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. As well as love and mercy, another key element of grace is forgiveness. The psalmist speaks of God's forgiveness in the Old Testament. We look at something like Psalm 103, verses 10 to 12. And the psalmist writes that he, that's God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him and as far as east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us and finally just in these opening verses grace results in having us having peace with god this is the ultimate result of grace that the peace enjoyed by believers Is the fulfillment of the covenant promise of peace it's beautiful picture of peace between us and God and then finally the fulfillment of peace it comes in this finally comes to be a reality through the coming of the Messiah we've read about it in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and Isaiah 53 verse 5 we we remember the the readings from the last couple of days that for us a child is born. That child is the Messiah for us. And so we have grace, which comes in the form of love and mercy and results in us having peace with God. But then Paul so helpfully shows us how this gospel is obtained. How the gospel is obtained. We know what, what, we know what the gospel is, but then we need to know how do we get it. What's well, there in verses 4 and 5? We're told that He, that's God, who gave Himself up for us for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. How do we obtain this gospel truth? What's well, actually won for us already in Christ Jesus? Jesus is that suffering servant whom Isaiah speaks about. He is the one who gives Himself for our sins. It's not me. It's not you that merits grace or somehow wins God's favour for forgiveness and peace. It's only by the blood of the Lamb that we have peace. Death is the consequence for our sin, for our rebellion, but Jesus Christ atones for our sin as we sung this morning is only by grace and by grace alone. And perhaps we see how in which Another way in which this is actually obtained, ultimately, is that little phrase in verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. See, if I want to go and walk out of this room and go grab a coffee, and I will be over the next couple of months exploring all the different coffee shops, if I want to do that, that's my will. I can choose to do that. That's in my control. I have the power to do that. The gospel, on the other hand, speaks to the pure, uninterrupted, sovereign will of God. So if we know what the gospel is, well then, not just what's going on in Galatia, but what might be going on in the world today, that this gospel is to the exclusion of all others. We actually see it in verses 6 to 9 with the question that I've got, why have you deserted him? see in these verses we learn that certain people are infiltrating and harassing the galatians they're preaching another gospel they're probably outside the regular gathering of god's people they they in that what what i mean by that is they probably didn't fellowship together they didn't spend time studying or applying the word of god together but instead from the outside and it's very clear. From the broader level, from the broader letter, what these so-called preachers are trying to convince people of, that in the issue for them is Jesus plus something else will give you your salvation. In this particular case, it's Jesus and circumcision. And Paul, in particular, spends a lot of time addressing this in chapter 5 of the letter. But it's in this context that Paul is astonished. It's kind of another word for complete disbelief. Like, what? How can you so quickly throw aside this gospel for something else? And it's in his astonishment that actually it functions as a rebuke. This so-called gospel, he tells them, is no gospel at all. I love that phrase because it makes it so clear how any sort of deviation from the gospel, it's not like gospel light, you know? It's no gospel at all. And it's clear that some have been preaching this other gospel in verse 7, probably outside the church, and they want to alter or change the gospel of Christ. And to alter is kind of a little light, I think. It's more of a radically change. It's no minor difference, it's everything. And the rest of the letter shows us how they distort the gospel. By preaching that, you need to be circumcised to be part of the people of God, to be saved. And this just throws out the grace for us one in Christ Jesus. It's a perverse, perverted distortion of salvation. And Paul says, have nothing to do with it. Don't entertain it. In fact, his words are even more, far harsher than that. Have a look in verses 8 and 9. These verses show that proclaiming another gospel is not a minor defect. Preaching another gospel can't be defended. And it can't be defended no matter who says it. He's saying, don't be fooled by those who appear smart. Or say something that would make the gospel easier to digest. And those who might do these things, they are accursed meaning that they're headed for destruction. They are headed for eternal punishment, not simply for preaching another gospel, but also because they've been leading the church of Galatia away from the true gospel. It's really clear from the passage that even after accepting the gospel, that the church, and I think even we today, can be prone to wander from God. So as as we reflect on this How might we continue, how are we meant to guard the gospel as Paul did, as Paul exalted the Galatians to do? I have two things for us to consider. One is know the gospel well to the exclusion of all others. Know the gospel well to the exclusion of all others. You see, if you know the gospel well, then you'll more easily be able to distinguish what is the true And what is the counterfeit i love the fact that we've got a a five by five by five reading over i hope a year and beyond because it's by that that we know christ that we'll be able to discern what is true and what is fake what is real and what is counterfeit so please join us in doing that know the gospel well to the exclusion of all others so and, and i think It's so easy for us to think perhaps we've been coming to a church for a long time and we've been sitting in church and we've heard sermon after sermon and we think, I know the gospel. Well, if you think you know the gospel, can I encourage you, please, read again Galatians 1, those opening five verses. Read them over and over. Let them sink in. Let them sink in over time that you might know the gospel more and more. Second is this. Let's not rely on our Christian heritage, instead we rely on Jesus. Let's not rely on our Christian heritage, instead rely on Jesus. I want to tell you about my Nan. I've known her all my life, funnily enough. Um, She helped raise me in loving care and she is by all accounts a loving and deeply caring woman. And regularly, I would come over for her to her house for tea and a bickie, and we would talk about life. And I would ask her, Nan, what does it mean to be a Christian? And she looked at me with the greatest of smiles and said, well, Michael, you've just got to be a good person. It seems like what my Nan had was a case of what I like to call good person syndrome. She would explain to me that it's got nothing to do with believing or following jesus but simply being good you know doing good things saying good and kind words learning to be quiet when you need to be quiet you know that sort of thing now does that sound like the gospel we just read what have you been brought up to believe that to be good is christian or to be christian is good that's not the gospel the gospel is where jesus has rescued you and i from the darkness of our sin and rebellion it has absolutely nothing to do with being good ephesians 2 says that we were by nature objects of wrath there's nothing remotely good that exists in a person but only god in his mercy and love plunges his hand into the filth of our wretched sinful state but pulls us out by the blood of his son. Anything else, whether it's said from a preacher, a trusted friend, or a family member, it should be thrown out. There's no place for good person syndrome, which is really no gospel at all. There's no place for relying on your church-going experience, which is no gospel at all. But anything that you want to add or we want to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ amounts to nothing. In fact, it will take away from the glorious God-willed Christ's death giving us peace with him. Everything rises and falls with the gospel outlined here. Not my own doing or your own doing or our own doing. No, we are to rely on Jesus. And that's great news. The gospel is the love, mercy and peace found in the death and resurrection of Christ. As we go out of Christmas and we look forward to Easter, this is what we celebrate. So let us guard this so that we will remain in him for eternity. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, you have loved us with an everlasting love. In Jesus Christ, who has died for our sins, who has borne them for our salvation. You have rescued us from this present evil age. And may we rejoice in it. As the psalmist said this morning, may we take refuge in you the author and the perfecter of our faith. May we remember this gospel. May we never desert him. May we seek the approval of only you as we seek to love and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.